Welcome to the OIS Podcast, where you get candid conversations with the leaders and drivers of ophthalmic innovation. And now, here's our host, Tom Salemi. Hi, everyone. This is Tom Salemi, your host of the OIS Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Timing is absolutely everything in most things, and the public markets are no exception. Uh, The ability to measure the swings of the market cycles can be uh, the difference between making and losing a fortune. So it's great to understand uh, how these pendulums swing and why. So today we're going to speak with David Nierengarden. He is a managing director at Wedbush Securities. David's been covering biotech for over a decade. He knows ophthalmology and he knows market cycles. So we talked to him a bit about what makes market cycles come and go. And perhaps most importantly, uh, what is the future for this biotech cycle, this outstanding biotech cycle that we have been in? Can these good times continue? If so, for how long? If not, uh, when will we see that first red flag? So David uh, offers some very helpful advice and a bit of a a sobering forecast, but it's definitely worth uh, hanging on to and listening in. So please enjoy this conversation with David Nierengarden of Wedbush. Well, David, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. We are, we're here today to talk about uh, some market cycles, and specifically biotech market cycles. I mean, historically, we've seen IPO windows open and close. Uh, they usually remain open for a short time and close for a longer time, but we've had a pretty great run uh, going over the past three or four years. So I'd like to just get a, a better understanding of, of the nature of market cycles, sort of where we are in market cycles, and if you dare forecast where we're going to be going in market cycles. Before we get into to that question, I just was uh, wanted to get into your background a bit. You've got a bachelor's in biochemistry and a PhD in biochemistry. Uh, was was research ever an intention of yours, or were you always headed to Wall Street? Yeah, I, I, had, I entertained the notion of uh, pursuing a career in, in research or in academia uh, when I started my uh, graduate studies. Uh, however, that somewhat somewhat quickly uh, diminished. In importance uh, as I went to through my second and third year in grad school, and then I um, got attracted to the stock market. Um, started writing, you know, a, a bit for the Motley Fool for fun, and and to you know teach myself a bit about in, investing in the stock market, and that um, eventually turned into um, my first position out um, at post grad school in a small uh, venture capital fund. And that's how I started on the financial side of biotech and have uh, been there ever since. Yeah, I'm familiar with RCT. I know Paul Grand a little bit. I don't know if your time overlapped, but uh, it's definitely an interesting firm. I know Paul. Were you ever uh, ever interested in the venture side of things? Yeah, I mean, I I was. I started there. Um, It's just, uh, yeah, after a couple of years, um, you know, I had an opportunity to move on and and actually um, switch from being on the buy side, as it were, um, investing in companies to on the sell side uh, at an investment bank and moved over to Robert Baird um, after RCT and, and kept on, again, being on the uh, financial side of things on, on the biotech industry and, and doing uh, stock research there. Great. 
Well, what, let's get right into the, the discussion. What, what are the financial cycles, particularly as they're related to public company valuations in the stock markets? Yeah. What, what drives the ups and downs? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's probably a lot of uh, financial academic work on what, what exactly drives the ups and downs. But what we do have is, is the evidence and, and the data from you know, what comprises a, a financial cycle. And uh, typically, you know, what happens is you know, that we can start with the, um, you know, start with a recession, for example. Um, you know, a recession is defined by a couple quarters of um, financial, or I'm sorry, of economic contraction. And during um, recessions, typically the stock market bottoms, uh, bottoms out a little bit before the recession is ter- you know, termed over, um, where the economy starts growing again. And the stock market bottoms, uh, the valuations are, you know, um, at their bottom, and then the uh, as the economy starts growing, typically the stock market leads the economy a little bit in terms of growth uh, and appreciation. And in the early part of the cycle, typically the appreciation of the stock market is re- related to uh, more rapidly growing sales and earnings of companies um, in the stock market. And then towards the middle and later part of the cycle, it's actually driven typically by um, what's called multiple expansion or you know, increased valuation despite um, earnings and sales typically not um, going up as much as the stock prices are. And, and you know, people argue whether that's um, irrational, uh, but it is what it is. Um, it, it's what happens. And then, um, and then again, when the economy starts slowing down and we come into a recession, uh, people, uh, you know, the stock market tends to drop and tends to um, lead the way down uh, a little bit before the, the economy bottoms. And typically, the stock market uh, loses about 50% during a recession. Um, and of course, there's a range, but the, the median is around 50% drop um, for the stock market and, and as it goes into the next recession. So that's um, you know what drives the ups and downs. Again, I think is it's open to a little bit of debate, um, but generally, you know, the it's related to the economy, and then um, a bit of multiple and, and valuation expansion, and then uh, of course contraction uh, when the recession hits. And, and do these laws uh, apply differently to micro or, or mid or large cap stocks? Is 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 the the the, yeah. the, the law of nature generally the same for all? Yeah. Um, so. The typically um, micro and mid uh, cap stocks, uh, especially those that are more dependent, and generally they are by definition more dependent on on the capital markets, on on financing through debt or equity transactions, uh, because they're dependent on investors' goodwill, as it were. Uh, they tend to be affected more uh, by the ups and downs. So they tend to go up more and they tend to go down more um, when with the stock market. Large cap stocks um, are, again, almost by definition, uh, independent you know, businesses that can you know, run through a recession without additional capital or, or with limited you know, investor goodwill, as it were, and, and um, tend to be less affected, although they still, you know, they still exhibit pretty wide swings uh, through a market cycle, but they tend to go up and down a bit less uh, than the small and, and mid-cap stocks. We're going to take just a quick break from this conversation to remind you that David will be on a panel of Wall Street analysts at our OIS at AAO 
for the first time, we will have a element or a section of the conference focused exclusively on publicly traded companies and the public markets. So this is taking innovation up to the next level. We're tracking those companies that have commercial products or are close to having commercial products, and we're trying to give you a better understanding of how those companies are faring and will fare. So go to ois.net to register. So the last four years, we've seen a, a, a great uh, surge for biotech and a lot of opportunities for IPO. And it's a window, as I said earlier, that doesn't usually st- hasn't historically stayed open uh, for this long. Uh, what do you attribute this this longevity to uh, for the biotech cycle? Is it just a maturation of the of the industry, uh, uh, improvement of the science, or uh, is it more come more from the investor side where they're just more uh, more friendly toward these sort of issues? Yeah, I, I think, yeah, I hate to be a, a bit wishy-washy, but I think it's a, a confluence of factors, really. Um, I, I hate to say all of the above, but it is a bit of all of the above, and I can throw in some details. You know, the, the window has opened open wide and, and has stayed open, I think, for some fundamental reasons. Um, you know, we have seen a definite increase in FDA approval of drugs, and that's related to, in my opinion, better science and better drug development. Uh, again, a maturation, as you put it, of the industry and a, you know, kind of a collective knowledge of how to develop drugs and develop better drugs has improved, and, and we've seen the results of that in more FDA approvals. Um, the time to approval, especially uh, for you know, the so-called targeted therapies and such, has, has also declined. Um, and that's very important. And that builds on the science, too. This is all kind of a, 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 it's like building a skyscraper. You just don't have one one component supporting the structure. But, you know, the improved science and you have the, the human genome projects, things like that have really contributed to the knowledge base that has developed these targeted drugs. And the targeted drugs not only have a better chance of getting approved, but they get approved in a shorter time. Now, what, you know, and then what has that done is it really increased investor enthusiasm around uh, the companies. And so, yes, investors are enthusiastic, have supported um, IPOs, increased IPO issuance, um, and have been more than willing to invest in the new companies that are you know, developing this good science and, and uh, better drugs. Um, and then there's a bit of you know, market um, uh, influence also where while we've had a recovery, of course, in the stock market, or the economy has recovered a bit, and the stock market has certainly recovered. Uh, the economy isn't growing as quickly as it has in past recoveries. And so if you're an investor and you know, one of your options is to invest in, say, you know, Caterpillar or um, a, bio, a biotech stock, uh, that's exhibiting much faster growth than Caterpillar because Caterpillar is more tied to the economy, and, and you know we're only seeing two percent GDP growth. Well, in healthcare, we're seeing you know much much um, higher rates of growth in sales and earnings. Uh, that investor you know might prefer to invest in the growth stock and the biotech stocks, and that has you know, I think contributed to investor willingness um, to support new issues, to you know invest in larger biotech companies and and you know, basically biotech across the spectrum. So, I guess the question you would ask then: Where where are we now in this in this cycle in this this biotech swing? Are we at that point where the uh, the prices are sort of outpacing pacing performance, or or, uh, or is there enough uh, underpinnings of success in, in product sales and approvals that you see uh, 
you see some continuation of of these good times. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I think this goes back to my earlier comment um, on you know, the, the stock market and and investors, you know, being happy until they're not. Essentially, it's it's unfortunately kind of like the Thanksgiving turkeys. He's living fat and happy until the day before Thanksgiving. Um, the, you know, I, I think the the cycle, or you know, the, the, I think biotech will continue to do well um, as long as the stock market and the economy are doing well. Um, so where are we now is depending on on what you think of the the business cycle a bit. Um, you know, there is certainly um, the you know we've had several good years. Certainly, the, the market has had several good years, and and typically your business cycles are you know anywhere from four to seven years, and you know we're kind of getting to that point. So are we? You know, um, closer to the end than the beginning. Certainly, um, you know the the flip side is growth has been slower than in previous recoveries, and so one can argue that before um, the excesses um, build into the economy, we need to have a bit more growth. Uh, and I I kind of lie on on that side of the argument. I don't see an immediate um, or a recession around the corner, meaning in the next you know 12 months or so. Um, you know, after that, that's you know. Maybe, um, but it's uh, yeah. I don't think we're, we're we're right before the the end of the the good times, and so I think there's going to be a um, con, you know continued you know outperformance of biotech. Um, you know, one thing. I mean, we will have volatility in between. Uh, you know, I honestly can't remember a year, and I've been covering biotech you know the biotech industry for quite some time. I honestly can't remember a year where there wasn't a, a uh, certainly a 10% drop, but I don't think there's been a year in the past 10 where there hasn't been a 20% drop um, somewhere in the middle of the year, and yet there's been, you know, a, you know, certainly recovery from that um, even in the middle of the year, as we saw last year, um, for example, after the spring uh, correction of about 21%, the the market recovered in the next few months and continued to go higher. So, um, you know, people. I think forget that too quickly that there is a lot of volatility in the biotech industry, and just because the biotech's um, index drops 20% doesn't mean that you know it's over. That this is the year it's over. You know it, it might be, but it's it's certainly happened before, and and it's done well afterwards. So, but is it uh, as the economy goes, so goes biotech? In other words, if do we can can. Is it is it possible that we see uh, a, a a I keep wanting to say tanking, but I'll say a decline in in the biotech uh, uh, market, even if the economy is chugging along, or, or are the two sort of intertwined? Because there's a lot of variables. I mean, there's the election, there's there's news reports about you know this pharma company charging that for a drug. Lots of things out there could go yeah. could go wrong. Yeah, uh, you know. I, I, I think there's yeah there's certainly the volatility, but I don't um, you know associated with those discussions. But I don't think uh, that as long as the economy is is doing well and we're not in a recession, I I don't think those are you know permanent effects. Essentially, so, so you know what you're asking is, for example, uh, could the biotech stock index go down say another twenty or thirty percent and stay down um, in the uh, backdrop of a growing economy and and um, and I don't think that is the case, um, and, and certainly not with this cycle. I don't, I don't think that will happen. Um, 
you know, we have seen in the past, you know, like from, oh, what was it, oh, three to oh, six, um, where biotech just, it was kind of flat to, to slowly growing. It certainly wasn't the leading industry of that expansion. Um, and, you know, so, I mean, it wasn't really staying down, but it wasn't really going, you know, straight up either. It wasn't really, you know, appreciating, um, you know, as much as other sectors. Um, but it, you know, it wasn't tanking. So, you know, it's one of those, um, you know, it, it, I, I do think it depends a bit on the, more on the business cycle, the overall business cycle as, as to whether the biotech index, you know, continues to go down or recovers. And and with biotech as, as one of those leading sectors, what, uh, what does the downturn mean? You, 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 or what could it mean in terms of percentage of drop? Uh, is it, uh, what, what do you, what do you, what would you anticipate? I, I would anticipate a, um, significant drop, um, the next recession I, and by you know, significant, I mean more than the usual, uh, 50% drop that we see for, um, a stock, a stock market during a recession. Uh, I would anticipate, and I, I've, I've said this to, to other folks too, uh, uh, you know, a, more in the 70 to 80 percent drop for biotech uh, when the next recession hits, uh, because biotech has been the leading industry, and, and that's what's happened to the last couple leading industries in the last couple business cycles, uh, from tech in '99 to 2001, and and for home builders and and related mortgage companies and financiers uh, from uh, um, 06 to 08, and I, you know, unfortunately, uh, yeah, I, I don't want to. I mean, well, it's not news yet until it happens, but I, I, I really um, think when when the next recession hits, Buffett, I think it's going to be disproportionately hit. We'll take a moment and let everyone regain the control of their cars if they're driving. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you, you mentioned the four to seven year window, um, and we're sort of in, I think, around year four. I mean, could it could it go to could it go to seven? Or, or um, I mean, can you can you apply those sort of historical measures to kind of cycle timing now or or uh the, is the past not necessarily prologue is is where are where we are and, and we're sort of rewriting the book as we go forward i guess how much of a guide is, is history for you when trying to gauge the the cycles yeah well, well my guide is uh the four most expensive words in english are this time it's different <laughs> the, I, I i think the um i you know, we're yeah, we're probably in in year four or so. Um, I, I I really, yeah, there are arguments that this cycle could last longer than you know the, the typical. Um, you know, and it's really relating to that the recovery was somewhat slower uh, than a, your typical recovery. And I, I I do kind of buy into those arguments that because you know if if you believe a business cycle is related to you know excesses that build in, you know, and strain capacity and cause inflation and things like that, um, you know, we're not there yet. So, and, and we're frankly, doesn't really appear to be close to that yet. Um, so, you know, I, I, it wouldn't surprise me to see another two or three years of expansion, uh, because of, because of those characteristics of the recovery so far. And we have seen longer lived, um, expansions in the past. Certainly we've seen, you know, seven, eight year expansions, um, in the past, and that's so it wouldn't be uh, a record breaker um, this time around uh, to continue uh, to grow for another couple, you know, two to three years. And what is one of the first uh, red flags that we would drive by to sort of indicate that things are closer than we might have thought? 
Yeah, my my favorite leading indicator for um, for recession is what's called the yield curve. Um, so the yield curve is the difference between a longer dated um, bond and a shorter dated bond, a government bond. Um, and typically, you know, it's say the ten-year bond and the and the two-year, the three-month or, or the two-year bond are, are the best or most frequently used um, dates on government bonds. And when the, that yield curve is positive, um, meaning the 10-year bond or the longer-dated bond yields more than the shorter-dated bond, which makes sense, um, it, you know, then the economy is, is typically in an expansion mode. When that flips and turns negative, when the short-term yield is higher than the long-term yield, that means uh, that, that typically indicates and has indicated in the past that a recession is um, you know, likely to occur within the next year. Um, this happened be- before the last couple of recessions. Um, it's a little tricky to figure out how or, or how that could happen this time around because of the Fed keeping the rates um, you know, pinned at, at zero to a quarter percent uh, in the near term. But um, you know, it has happened in Japan. Japan has had recessions with a positive yield curve, with you know their central bank keeping short-term yields down quite a bit, and. And uh, that's happened when their yield curve is, has shrunk to a um, you know around a 0.5 or 0.6 percent difference, and we're not there yet in our yield curve. If you consider that to be a model for uh, predicting a recession in a zero bound environment, uh, so but that's my to long story short, that's my favorite indicator, leading mm-hmm. indicator for a recession. Right. And final question: uh, This since this is an ophthalmology uh, podcast. Do the subsectors within biotech have their own sort of cycles? Is ophthalmology uh, could that be trending one way while oncology is is trending another? And, and if so, where is oncology? Where is ophthalmology uh, sort of in its cycle? Yeah, yeah, that, that's a really good question. I think the um, there are certainly subsectors in biotech um, that move differently um, than the overall index. What I've seen that relate the most to is investor sentiment around, um, you know, really a, a lot of times on the regulatory path. Um, so, for example, you know, antibiotics just were dead and buried when the FDA changed their their mind on how to get an antibiotic drug approved back in the early two um, thousands. And you know, I mean, there's there's no way you could take an antibiotic company public. It, you know, the industry practically disappeared. Um, it, you know, and and so those those kinds of examples, I think, that really would drive um, subsector under or outperformance. Uh, in terms of you know, where we are in ophthalmology, you know, I think um, you know there there have been a couple of high profile uh, failures and on the, the more you know exotic uh, technology front, you know, like the, the gene therapy uh, for um, you know wet AMD and Avalanche reported out that data. And that uh, might have cooled uh, some investor sentiment around, um, you know, th- these, shall we say, un- you know, untried or unproven technologies. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm personally a fan of uh, gene therapy, but maybe not for wet AMD, but for other diseases. But yeah, I think um, that's what drives it. I think ophthalmology right now has been more favorably viewed than other subsectors. Um, however, with the recent you know, hiccups with uh, Avalanche and, um, you know, 11 Bio, I think the, you know, there's, there's been a bit of cooling, but it's not, um, 
investors don't dislike it you know, at, at the moment. They still like the subsector, but it, it's not as, um, I don't think it's quite as popular as it was. Um, a few, you know, six, seven months ago. Yeah, we had Spark last week, so that uh, that helps a little bit. Yeah, yeah, Spark did help a bit, and yeah, and again, I I, I think it, it. And when you talk about subsectors, it's driven more by um, you know recent clinical trial results and and you know regulatory um, commentary than um, investor you know money flow. That that's what drives the investor money flows and. and um, and it's less related to the overall economy or, or you know, how things are doing at, at that particular moment. Mm-hmm. Terrific. Well, it's been fascinating. I appreciate you taking a few minutes to, uh, to give us a lay of the land. And uh, we look forward to seeing you. You'll be at uh, OIS next month, correct? I will be. Excellent. We'll see you there. Thanks see you in there. Vegas. David Nierengarten, thank you for joining us today. It's uh, always great to get insights on things I know such so little about. <laughs> and the public markets are one of those things, and, and they are legion. Uh, so thanks for uh, helping us understand what makes uh, the pendulum swing back and forth and for the forecast of uh, what's to come. If you want to have a forecast of what's to come in ophthalmology, you should be at OIS at AAO on November 12th in Las Vegas. So go to ois.net to register, and we'll see you in Las Vegas.